Hey guys, welcome into the Stinky Truth Podcast. Uh, I am Mark Schler alongside Mike Evans. Thank you so much for listening to us. Make sure you subscribe, you like it, you do whatever it is that you do because we appreciate you guys. Mike, how are you, buddy? I am loving, loving, loving the drama so far in these training camps. What's going on? It's like uh, it's like back in the days when you were doing Guiding Light, Rock yeah. Hoover oh, on yes, a soap exactly. opera. It's like a All soap opera. All kinds of drama. So, okay, Aaron Rodgers and Sean Payton, are these guys going to hug it out or fight or what's going to happen here? Yeah, I, I don't know, but Aaron Rodgers went all in. Like, all in in supporting his coach, but all in in admonishing Sean Payton. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we all love, you know, we all want honesty from our athletes, mm-hmm. honesty from our coaches. We want that until they give it to us, and then we're like, you can't do it. You can't say that. But the code. Right, the code. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I'm I'm all about like I I understand that like you and I doing our local radio show when Sean Payton came out with those statements we were like oh my gosh this is great like this is great at the same time you're like oof it's uh you know you step on a lot of toes when you go in that direction so Sean Payton basically calls out Nathaniel Hackett he calls out the Broncos last year he says it's one of the worst jobs he's ever seen in the history of the National Football League from a coaching standpoint Aaron Rodgers comes to Nathaniel Hackett's defense. And and here would be kind of just my my takeaway from what Rodgers did, because I love Rodgers coming out and calling out Sean Payton. You don't do that. That's like that, that's that's one of those things that is, you know, the scarlet letter taboo subject when it comes to coach on coach crime or player on player crime type of thing. And um I appreciate that about Rodgers. I appreciate about him going after Sean Payton. Um, and I think one of the things that you always kind of look at when you're when you're saying something that's critical of of somebody else's regime, um, you don't basically prop yourself up by stepping on the throat of somebody else. Like we know it was a bad job, and everybody understands that they were you know piss poor last year. But you don't basically have to say it's the worst coaching job in the history of the National Football League. Like that's one of those things you just don't see that, Mike. And that's I think what what was so that was so shocking about, you know, what Sean Payton so said. So is it as simple as this? What Sean Payton said was true. Yes. The problem isn't what Sean Payton said. It's how he said it. Is right. it as simple as that? Yeah, it's it's the when you it, it's the implication of like it's it's putting everybody on the spotlight there's a there's a way to say that Russell Wilson wasn't properly supported without saying it was the worst coaching job in the history of the National <laughs> Football League you could just say you could come back and say hey listen you know you go back to last year and I don't want to focus on last year we want to move forward but let's face it Russell Wilson wasn't put in a position to to accentuate the things he does well. Like he was trying to execute a lot of things that he just doesn't do well. And our job as a coaching staff is to find out what he does well, mitigate potential disaster, don't ask him to do things he can't do, and let's hammer on the things he does well. Like you can do that without throwing the other coaching staff under the bus. But what Sean Payton said was true, right? You and I live through. Yes. Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. It was one of the worst coaching jobs we've ever seen. Correct. He didn't lie. No. He didn't. So I, I, I guess I'm a little confused because I know as a, a sports fan, 
I want the truth. I, I wish more people in sports would tell the truth. But right. it seems like whenever somebody does tell the truth, everybody gets all upset. And, yeah. oh, you can't say that. Well, what do you want, people? Do you want the truth right. or not? Because what Sean Payne did right. people, and said was the yeah, truth. They, they, they do want the it truth. It was bad. They do want the truth until the truth comes out. Here, here's one thing I'll say about Nathaniel Hackett. And, and Nathaniel and I are, are buddies, right? I really like I really like Nathaniel. You've seen, you've been privy to, to some of the conversations I've had with Nathaniel. They were very honest last year yep. to the point where somewhere around week six, I said, if you don't get your act together, you're going to get fired. Yep. Like you have got to take control. Now, my the thing that I will give him credit for and the thing that, that mitigates it for me in regards to the job that he did is he came in and he was put with Russell Wilson, and then he said, and then he was told, "Oh, by the way, you got to do what Russell wants." Here's Russell's, you know, independent quarterback coach. He gets to be in the building. Russ gets his office. He gets to be in the building with that. He gets all his other people in the training room and everything else. Like you were cut off at the knees before you even took this job. Like you were emasculated before you even took this job. And to Nate's credit, Nathaniel's credit. I, I brought up a bunch of things that I looked at at film, like, man, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do this. And not one time, and I'll give Nathaniel Hackett a lot of credit, because I wouldn't ever throw him under the bus. I would never come out and say, well, nothing. Coach Hackett told me this, right? I would never go on the radio. I would never do it on this podcast. I would never break his confidence. To his credit, there was not one time, and he had ample opportunity, both on the phone and through text message, to say, hey, man, like, I've been cut off at the knees. Hey, man, like, I've been a mask. Hey, man, like, this guy can't do this, 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 and this. Not one time did he ever say a disparaging word about the Broncos, about his coaching staff, or about Russ. Not one time. There's so much to this this Peyton, um, Jets, Aaron Rodgers, Nathaniel Haggard. There's so much to this story I guess what I, I still am curious about is what was or is Peyton trying to accomplish right. with this? Because he's been around so long. There's got to be a certain method to his madness, right? Mm -hmm. What is he trying to accomplish by saying the things that he said? Because remember, what I heard from his apology after the fact, I didn't hear him apologize for what he said. He apologized for how he said it. He talked about how, oh, I need to have a better filter and I yeah. need to show more restraint. That's not walking back what he said. It's right. it's All right. It's smoothing out how he said it. So what's he trying to accomplish? Well, I think the biggest I think the biggest thing that every coach walks into a new situation. Like when you when when a coaching staff gets fired and when a team isn't having success, what's the first thing that needs to be addressed? The culture within that building. And you look at the Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos sitting here in the mountain times the mountain time zone, the the only team that's that's in the mountain time zone, you know, three sixty five is the Denver Broncos. They're it. And they were a jewel in the crown of the NFL in that time zone for a very long time. Under Pat Bowen's tenure, they were one of the top teams, and the NFL could always rely on a rating in that you know, that 405 to 425 Eastern slot, 
Okay, they could always count if we put the Broncos on. They've got enough of a, of a national draw that we know we're going to get a number on the Broncos. Well, over the last seven years, that has dissipated. And then they got Russell Wilson last year, and they had six primetime games, and the Broncos basically shit in their helmets on all six of those games. Remember the game against the Colts where they showed they showed the Broncos fans in Denver in the fourth quarter walking out of the game. I think the Broncos lost 12-9 in overtime. They, like Bronco fans going, well, it's getting late. <laughs> It's a it's a nine nine game, five <laughs> minutes left in the fourth quarter. But uh, I got to take the kids to school tomorrow, so I'm getting out of this you know this shit show, right? I mean, that's that was a lasting, uh, lasting. I remember talking to my broadcast crew, the guys I do TV with, the guys I do games with, and like, oh my gosh, we would never ever show that the mass exodus. We would never ever show that, and so. All of a sudden, for Sean Payton, he wants to bring credibility back to the Denver Broncos. And he needs to bring that culture back to the Denver Broncos. And I think part of it is it's easy to come around with some false bravado, you know, and go, oh, we're going to be, you know, we're going to go, go fight, win, and all that stuff. But he needs his players to understand that I see what went on the last couple of years. And you know what? I know you guys have been kicked around. And I know you guys haven't won a division game in three years against the Raiders. You haven't won a division game since, you know, the dawn of time against Kansas City. <laughs> Lost 15 straight? 15 straight. But those days are done. The buck stops here. Yeah, I'll put a target on our back. But you know what's, you know what's better? or you know, you know what where a target on your back is better than the kick me sign that you've had on your back for the last however many yeah. years? And so, yeah, I'm putting a target on us, but I'm okay with that. Bring it on. And so supporting your players, letting your players know, hey, man, this wasn't all your fault. Like, you guys have been put in an untenable position, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming in here to fix it. And I think that was part of the message. And then part of the message was to tell your quarterback, you got to trust me. I'm going to put you in a position to win. But we're not doing it with your little quarterback coach that hangs around and tells you how great you are. We ain't doing it with what you wanted to do last year. We're doing it the way I want to do it. And, yes, you're going to have input. Yeah, I'm going to put you in positions to do the things you do well. But, man, I, ain't, I, I you're not Drew Brees, and that's okay. You're Russell Wilson, and you've been pretty damn good being Russell Wilson. So we're going to get you back to being Russell Wilson and not Drew Brees, and that's okay. You know, I love the way he, <clears throat> Sean Payton handled it all. I love the way Aaron Rodgers handled it, and Aaron is just—he's just slaying it with the Jets. From the moment he became a Jet, it has just been home run after. Whoops! Whoa! Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> just go ahead and throw your pin around. Just throw my pin around. All right, I, I, all right. Hey, I did it for effect yes. because. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been great from leading, setting an example, coming in, working, um, defending Nathaniel Hackett, defending Robert Sala, um, and and now coming out, reworking his contract to bring in and save a lot of money, and then coming out and talking about, hey, if guys are going to be available at the trade deadline, I want us to be in a position to go out and get them. I can understand why Packer fan is sitting back going, where was this Aaron the last couple of years? Because he's been awesome yeah. as a Jet. There is no question. Talk that, while I grab my pen. Yeah, there's no question that he has 
been empowered. You know, he has been in lockstep. It, it's one of those. It's one of those situations. It reminds me of Bill Parcells. Like, you wanna, you want me to cook the meal, but you won't allow me to hire the grocery or the, to go buy the groceries, right? And for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, his issue was, hey guys, like you guys are paying me a lot of money to play quarterback. You know, I'm I'm a MVP, and you're not involving me in the process at all. And so there was a disconnect between him and management and the way they ran their team. And therefore, oh, you're going to disconnect me? You're not going to allow me to be a part of the decision-making process of who we go after or what like what I would like. You're not even going to you're not even going to include me in those things? Okay. Well, that's great. Well, guess what? I ain't going to help you out. You're going to pay me top dollar. You're going to make me the highest-paid guy in in the league at my position and um and you know what? You're going to have to figure it out on your own. Because if you're not going to include me, it just feels to me like the Jets went after Aaron Rodgers. They made the concessions to get Aaron Rodgers, and they included Aaron Rodgers in. Hey, you want who do you want? Oh, you want Lazard? Done. We'll go after Lazard. You who? Like, what do you need? Because we're in this thing together, and that and that kind of relational aspect of what Robert Sala, what the Jets have done with Aaron Rodgers, he comes back to them and says, "I'm going to make life easy on you." Here's a $35 million pay cut. If somebody comes available, let's say Devontae Adams, my guy from my time in Green Bay, all of a sudden things aren't working out with the Raiders, right? He wants out. The Raiders don't want to pay him. The Raiders aren't winning. Guess what? That guy becomes available for a trade. Now I've cleared the salary cap to get him. We're in. We're all in. Push to the middle. And if you're in New York and you're a Jets fan, mm. Or if you're a Jets fan anywhere, dude, this has got to be like this is like like this is opening of the heavens of what's going on right now. With is there any team with hard knocks and everything else? Is there any team that had there's more anticipation for what they're going to do this season than Aaron Rodgers, the Great Gazoo, in uh, in New York? It, like, look, look it up. Yeah, I mean, it's got. I, You've got to be. Yeah. I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to go back to New York because you know at some point I'm going to go there, maybe do some FS1 stuff or whatever. I can't wait to go back and, and you know, see my guys on the streets, you know, and see what they think. Because you've had battles with Jet Fan. Oh, yeah. Over the last several years. Absolutely. But, man, I, I couldn't be more excited. And that week five matchup between the Broncos and the Jets – Dude, I wish I was doing that game. So you were really bullish on the Jets with Rodgers yes. when the deal first went down. Mm -hmm. Are you even more bullish on them now? Yeah. Like, are they the team to beat in the AFC East, in your mind? Yeah, you I, I think a lot of people still point to Buffalo, and Buffalo's got a lot of great players and stuff. But, yeah, I feel – I just feel like the Jets have got something special going on right now. I feel like there is that – um, that connectivity, and the guys are excited. And I know how young and talented they are, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So that is, uh, that's just an intriguing team, man. Really intriguing team. So we started out talking about soap operas with the Broncos and the Jets and Peyton and Rodgers and Hackett. Let's stay with the soap opera theme as the running back world yeah. turns. Let's see. We've got Jonathan Taylor. Upset with Jim Ursay, Ursay mm -hmm. telling everybody that Taylor's not going anywhere. Dalvin Cook meeting with the Jets. Zeke Elliott meeting with the Patriots. 
How's it all going to shake out? Yeah, it, interesting. Like the whole Jonathan Taylor thing. Like I understand how good Jonathan Taylor is, but there was injury issues last year. Matter of fact, I called the game between the Colts and the Tennessee Titans in Indianapolis, and that's where Jonathan Taylor had his first, I think, ankle injury of the year, um, and missed you know time in that game. Um, man, I, I'm I'm just telling you, like, if you're a running back. And the truth hurts. Maybe don't look at social media. Maybe don't listen to the television or the radio because Jim Irsay is just telling you the truth. Like that was collectively bargained. You want to be pissed off? Be pissed off at yourself for allowing that to be signed. Be pissed off at your players' association for what you guys negotiate. Like you negotiated the fact that they're allowed to franchise a player. You negotiated the fact that there aren't, you know, fully guaranteed contracts. You, the things that you guys make concessions on, like lack of practice time, like the stuff that you guys do, that's your own fault. You know, you think about you think about how the collective bargaining agreement works and the things that the players association have fought for. Less practice time, like that's going to you know, all it's done is create a greater divide between the haves and have-nots. Why would you pay a guy that's a descending player athletically in his eighth year, right? He's a descending player athletically that really hasn't developed as, as much as he could have developed as a really smart, good football player because you've eliminated time in meeting rooms, you've eliminated time in practice, you've eliminated, you know, contact, you've eliminated pads, you've eliminated all the things that create and help you become a great football player and really understand the game. And now all of a sudden that guy has to get paid $2 million because he's a veteran or whatever the, you know, whatever the base salary is nowadays. And I can take, wait a minute, I can take, a young athlete who's a draft pick or a college free agent who's ascending as an athlete and from a skill set will will still ascend as you know athletically and and maybe doesn't know as much as that guy but that guy has limited himself that middling player that that 8 year veteran so let's just eliminate him and pay the guy 400,000 instead of 2 million and and like hey man if he has to play we'll fight through it but he's just not he I mean, he's almost as good as that player anyhow, and he's an ascending athlete. But despite all those things, and I don't disagree with anything you just said, but you're still seeing players at other positions, if they produce, guys are getting paid. And yet we're seeing running backs who are producing, but they're not getting paid. Yeah. And yet everybody who's an expert in this game will tell you how important the running game is, the balance for offenses, what it does to defenses. Anybody connected with the game is quick to point out how important the running game is, and yet even the running backs who are producing, like their other positional counterparts are producing, those guys get paid, but these guys seem to be really struggling to get the the contracts that the other position players are getting. Why? Because of, well, because of several factors. One, this game has gone from 65 to 70% run to 65 to 70% pass. So the structure of the game has changed. So the running game isn't as important? Well, no, it's still very important, but it isn't as it, – it, it's not as um, as heavily leaned upon as it once was. The other thing that – But it's important. 
It's super important, okay. but it's not as heavily leaned upon as it once was. The other thing that happens is just the history of that position. The odds are when you're 28, 29, you're washed up. When you're 28, 29, you're entering your prime at every other position. So, like, the, the fact that from a transitional standpoint, meaning you transition from the college game to the professional game, the easiest, and, and this is just, like, you talk to anybody who's involved in this game, and, and it just goes without almost without saying. The easiest position based on success from college to the pro game is the running back position. Those guys just roll in, and all of them, there's not much of a learning curve there. If you understand, if you've got great vision and you've got great awareness and, and you know, I mean, you, you're running right, you're running left, right? It's, it's pretty – that part transitions pretty well. If you can do those things, man, you can play at a very young age and be very productive, and we see it all the time. You know, we see it with rookie – Kenneth Walker was a second-round pick for the Seattle Seahawks, starts 11 games and gets 1,150 yards rushing. Like, he's instantly, whoop, right in. And he's already suffering with injuries. He missed it with injury last year, and he opens up camp and, and pulls his groin, and, and he's already missing time. So just the overall wear and tear. The other thing is, it, the other thing is about that position is there are very few bell cows left. Now it's become position by committee. So everybody feels like that we need, hey, we need a guy that's going to be kind of the, the grinded out guy. We need a guy that catches the ball well. We need a guy that kind of does all things, you know, well. So and, and we're going to divvy that, we're going to divvy that pie up. You know, and if it's 27 touches, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get you know, 15, you're going to get 10, and you're going to get two. You know, and they – did you see that math? That's freaking math right there. Math, watch out. Math. Watch Here out. comes Stink. <laughs> right down there. <laughs> Just coming down the track for you. Uh, Tim Patrick is not a household name to everybody watching this, this podcast, but right. uh, he's a Denver Bronco receiver who for the second straight year is out for the year. Tore an ACL last year. The other day – tore his Achilles, he's gone. And and I just wanted to bring his story to light because I think so much so many times as fans we just think about uh you know the fame, the fortune, the how awesome it must be to be an NFL player. And yet sometimes you get a reminder, man, real life can step up and smack these guys in the face. Two straight season ending injuries for this guy. Mm-hmm. As somebody who spent a lot of his career injured, you got to have amazing empathy for this guy. I really, I really do. Um, it is so just depressing. Like I was just hurt from because I was at practice yesterday, and and I watched the drill. He's just uh, like they're getting in a bunch set with three receivers. It could be like a weak side bunch is you know is all receivers. Uh, and in the West Coast offense, you call that a cluster. A bunch is on the strong side, and it, revolves, it involves a tight end and two wide receivers. But they were working on bunch releases, right? One guy will go in, one guy will go up, one guy will go out, right? And However, they're going to mix that up. And he comes off with second step, just boom, collapses. And I'm watching, I'm like, oh, gosh. Because, you, you know, you're always told, don't speculate. But when I see non-contact injuries mm-hmm. – Two things usually happen. It's like if you look at all the ACL injuries, ACL injuries that happen in the NFL, I bet you ninety plus percent are non-contact. Yep, guy plants, boom, yep, just collapses. Yep, and you remember back to Kyler Murray last year, mm-hmm. boom, done. 
And the same thing goes for, uh, you know, for the Achilles. When the guy just goes down, he crumples, and then, you know, he reaches back to back. Because most of the time, you don't know you tore it. You thought you got hit with something. Right. Like, I've talked to a bunch of guys say, I thought I got kicked. Or I thought I was talking to Brandon Stokely yesterday. And he goes, you know, when I tore my Achilles, I thought somebody threw something from me at the stands. Felt like I got hit by a rock, and so I was looking around the field. Like, did somebody, you know, when you played the old Raiders back in back in the day when the Raiders were in Oakland, they throw D-sized batteries at you. Like, you got to keep your helmet on the bench, right? Because all of a sudden you see a battery come over. Classy, yeah, classy Classy folks over there. So, uh, (laughs) so yeah, that's what most guys feel like. And so I was just like, oh gosh, that looks like. And they brought the card out. It looks like an Achilles. God, it just was so. It was so depressing. But I'll tell you the other thing that a Tim Patrick does for you. And I know, you know, people will sit there and say, well, like, what is it? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. We got to. I hate to air dirty laundry from our radio show, but yeah. the, the, it, okay, once we put all the emotion aside, yeah, okay, he's a good player, but he averages like in his two yeah. best years for an undrafted guy, he had like fifty catches for seven hundred and forty yards. Good, mm-hmm. right. but come on, not irreplaceable. No, no, not from a receiving standpoint, and, and I understand like foot the. In the National Football League, everybody's a dependent position, right? Like, you all rely you all rely on one another. But some guys are more dependent than others. Like, a receiver is the most dependent position of all. Like, 10 guys have to do their job really well for you to even sniff a football, right? So they're the most dependent of all dependent positions. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So what does... So why are you making a big deal about his loss for the Broncos? I yeah. don't get it. Because he... You know, and this gets into kind of intangible. This gets into into a deeper football conversation, right? A, like for me, like I cannot believe that in seven years of working with me, <laughs> oh, that go. you still don't know shit about football. Oh, that's geez. what that's the thing here that drives go. me crazy. Is if like I had a nickel for every time I right. This. Like it's not a big deal. It's just fifty catches. Right. It's just another guy, right? It's not about that. It's about all the other things that he does well. So I would argue that on their offense, of all their players, he's the best football player on their offense. And so that gives you an ability to do some things that are pretty cool. And, you know, we start talking about, all right, like when we divvy up personnel groupings, for instance. So let's get into a three-wide set. So what is that going to create? 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers, okay? We used to call it zebra when when I played. That's zebra. So what does that do? Well, automatically, the defense is going to counter zebra or 11 with a nickel setting, meaning they're going to take a weak side linebacker out of a three-linebacker set, and they're going to bring a nickel player in, safety corner type of guy, right? And so he's going to cover that third wide receiver or he's going to be involved in that area of the football field. So the weakness becomes if that guy is asked to run support on the weak side because he's got to be a weak side linebacker as well as a corner. That's hard. It's hard to find those guys. So now all of a sudden you have an advantage as an offense. Okay, In the run game, if you can run out of three wide formations. There's an inherent advantage. It's just numbers, right? We've got we've got numbers on you. You got a little tiny guy basically playing linebacker. 
and we can get somebody on him, we've got an advantage if that guy is not a great run support defender. So the Rams used to call it, Rams called it under Sean McVay in 2017, 2018. They would be in completely, like I did a couple of Rams games, 99% of their formations, 99% of their personnel groupings were were three wide receiver sets. The only time they got out of three wide receiver sets was in short yardage and goal line. That's it. So it's like 98, 99% of all their plays. They used to call it 11 and a half personnel. And what they meant by 11 and a half personnel is we got a guy in Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, two guys, they can actually block. So now we say, hey, we show you 11 personnel. This is what Tim Patrick does. We show you 11 personnel, right? You match us with nickel, but we start running our 12 personnel package. So instead of that receiver actually playing wide receiver, now he's kind of playing tight end. Mm. And because he can cut off the backside, Cooper Cup is one of the only receivers in today's NFL, and Tim Patrick is this guy as well, that can motion across a formation and work with an offensive tackle as a combo block. So now think about this. We get in in a strong set, and let's say Tim Patrick is your F. Right, your F wide receiver, and you got a tight end on this line, and you're in trips. Now we motion him from the middle in slot. We motion him, and at the snap of the ball, all of a sudden he works in combination with your offensive tackle to that nickel guy. So now we got an O tackle and a wide receiver that's actually kind of playing tight end now, comboing that defensive end to that nickel guy, and now we have a huge advantage in the run game. How many receivers are like that? In the NFL, can you a handful? Can, can you name names? Can, I mean, I'm Cooper, just, I'm, Cup, Cooper, Cooper Cup. Cup can yep. do that. Robert yep. Woods could do that. Was available to do that. Right. There's a few guys like a Jarvis Landry to me is a guy that would be willing to do that. Back in the day when um, when Larry Fitzgerald yep. moved from the X to the F under Bruce Arians, he was asked to do that stuff to be an insert player. Meaning, okay, I'm going to motion you into the line of scrimmage, and now all of a sudden you got to get through the B gap between guard and tackle, and you've got to attack a safety. Chris Godwin will do that for Tampa. Like, there's a few guys. That's rare. That have, yeah, you, you know, you you talk about the Heinz Wards of the world, yep. you the, the Steve Smith Juniors of the world, guys that would set a tempo, guys that would be the actuator of the offense from the standpoint of just attitude. Um, Keenan Allen mm-hmm. with the Chargers is a badass. Like, you can ask him to do some of those things. Um, but there are very few guys that can do that. So now you're you're saying, hey, man, we're going to take – we 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 had this package that we could exploit a team. Now, that no longer exists, and we don't really have another receiver in our receiving room of, you know, five guys that we dress on game day that really has, you know, the balls to do that. And so it, it – it, does it – is it kill your offense? No. But is it another tool in your tool belt that all of a sudden you don't have? Yep. And that's where that's where that stuff hurts you. All right. I learned something. Okay. I learned something. I'm smart. Right. You are dumb. I am big. You are small. Yes, yes, yes. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> hey, for everybody involved. Happens every day, yeah, folks. It is every Digger day. Truth podcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Please subscribe. <laughs> please like it. And uh, thank you so much for... Uh, for watching. We really do appreciate you guys. We'll be back later in the week with another episode of The Singing Truth.